to our Think Kingdom podcast. This week, Pastor Antoine continues in our series, The Good Life. Let's hear what God's Word has for us from lead pastor Antoine Lasseter. We've been in the middle of a series, The Good Life, and uh, we're going to return it return to it today. Uh, Miles Monroe, he said that living life and not knowing why is the greatest tragedy. You're here, but not knowing your God-given purpose is a tragedy. And um, we define life by how we answer these five questions. Y'all want to see those five questions? Five questions. The first question is this, who am I? That speaks to your person. The second question is, where am I from? It speaks to your past. Oftentimes when I talk to my sons about their, my, 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 their, their, their will be their great-grandfather, and I tell them stories about who he is, you can see their inquisitive nature pops up because all of us want to know where we come from. Everybody wants an origin story. You remember Spider-Man? He got bit by a spider. That's his origin story. And so uh, why am I here? That speaks to purpose. Um, the, the fourth question is, what am I supposed to do? What's locked in me? What's my potential that needs to come out? And then the fifth question is, where am I going? I know where I am, but where am I going? And we all ask these questions in one form or another. Carl Ellis Jr., he breaks it down, and he's, he's taking another turn with it, but he speaks of identity, dignity, and significance. Identity is answering the question of who am I? Uh, dignity is what is my value, and purpose is what significance do I have? We are searching for identity, dignity, and significance, and the whole church said, I just pressured you into agreeing with me. And so when you cannot answer these questions, you are waiting for them to be answered for you. And this is where many of us get off. These questions are questions that only Christ can answer. The good life begins and ends with Jesus. He said, Christ? Yes. Yes. The good life begins and ends with Jesus. And the reality is that much of what we go through is an attack or an attempt to de-gospelize us, to, for us to reject the truth of who God is and who we are in Christ. So much of what we are going through is designed by the enemy for us to reject the truth of who God is and who we are. It's not about you or I struggling with the pay our bills. There's something connected that's deeper than just a job I work. Got one amen. But God uses those same challenges to bring more of Jesus into us. And so church hurt is real. And because bad experience can create and open us up to misinformation. So when I'm hurt, there is a potential of me being opened up to misinformation. In other words, I try to look for things that's the opposite of what I experience. We're talking about the good life. 
And bad doctrine helps mitigate struggles. And so that's why when we name it and claim it with no work to do what we named and claim, we blame God when it doesn't come to that's bad doctrine. And so what the enemy do, does is he uses our five senses um, to distort truth. And so in Genesis, God calls everything he created good. And he created everything for a purpose. The dodo bird had a purpose. It's extinct now. That's what makes it. Anywho, um, wow, it's going to be rough. Uh, Tanya, you have to laugh. You're married to me. That's like an obligation. Yes, yes. A support. That's what scripture says. You might help me. So when my, my bombs, my jokes bomb, you got to be the only one. And sons, we feed you. That's the own pressure right there. You got to be the loudest. When dad bombs, ha, 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 that was funny, dad. All right. Um, God put man into a good creation with the responsibility to cultivate the creation into all that it could be. God made work. Work is good. Let me say it again. It may not feel like it, brothers and sisters, but work is good. So the good life is crafting your world. Say my world. The good life is crafting your world by using your gifts, your skills, your vocation, your talent, and callings for God's glory. That's the good life. The good life is uh, taking what God has given you um, and maturing it to advance the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is God's rule. And he gives the church, say the church. He gives the church, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, pastors, uh, shepherds, pastors, and teachers to equip the body, its members, for the work of ministry. This means to teach God's word and be given opportunities to put into practice God's word. And God's word is not just for the church. And so that's why in church, people fight for positions which are limited. And he is wanting us to put into practice the word of God. And that also includes inside the church and outside the church. Go be a prophet on your job. Well, I'm sorry. Some of us have, and now we're jobless. That's a whole nother time. (laughs) Let me bring some balance to it. And so um, your favorite preacher, teacher, or communicator of God's word doesn't have more power than you. Can I just dispel this? Oh, man, it's like they rain heaven down. No, they don't have more power than you. We have the same access. The Spirit of God is in me is also the Spirit of God in you. The difference, Thomas, you want to know the difference? That that person may have more discipline than you, but doesn't have more power. The only person who has all power is Jesus. I'm going somewhere with this. 
we have access to the same Holy Spirit. Ain't nobody got a monopoly on that. No denomination, no awakening, no revival. We have the same access. Oh, that church over here is on fire. Well, you can be fire on fire right here. We have the same access through the Holy Spirit. In the book of John, chapter 3, uh, John the Baptist says it this way, he must increase and I must decrease. In other words, I have to get out of the way and let the Spirit move. That's discipline. That's discipline. And so when at the beginning, <laughs> I heard that, <laughs> singing these secular songs in the house, move, get out the way. Come on, I'm trying to preach. <laughs> All right. And so... Many of us participated in the fast at the beginning of the year, which seemed like two years ago, but then again, it doesn't. And fasting is the emptying of ourselves so that we may become fuller of Jesus. That's what fasting is. So when we decide to turn over the plate or reduce social media and do those things, we are trying to become more like Jesus. Discipline is the key. But in that word, discipline contains the word disciple. Discipline is the process by which one learns a way of life. So when we want a good life, where do we turn? As believers, we turn to Jesus because Jesus is the answer. So John chapter 10, verse 7. Jesus said again, truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep didn't listen to them. I am the gate. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. A thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come so that it may have life and have it in abundance. Jesus defines life for us. When I first started this series, I said, let's redefine what life is. No, that's an error. Jesus defines life, and sin and brokenness has redefined life for us. The original intent that God came is so that we can have life and have it more abundantly. In other words, if we want to figure out what to do with our lives, we go to the Creator. And the creator is the one who sets the parameters as to what life is. God's original plan for us was co-opted by sin and brokenness. And we are all striving to take this good life. We talked about a couple weeks ago that the good life is the lordship of Jesus in every area of our lives. Every area, every area. So the good life is doing our work for the glory of God and for the benefit of creation and leveraging, when appropriate, opportunities to make disciples through relationships as we go through life. Husbands. Bring glory to your marriage in how you love and honor your wife. Wives, bring glory to your marriage in how you love and honor your husband. Children, bring glory 
to your lives as how you honor and obey your parents, submitting to them as they lead you. Employers, pay fair wages and respect and honor your employees as to the glory of God. Employees, work as unto the Lord, bringing honor to the Lord. All of us, say all of us. All of us are commanded to bring glory to God in every area of our life, not just the church building. And this, and so I got three questions I want to ask you. I want you to write these down, and there will be a test at the end. <clears throat> Wait a minute, first time guest light. I don't do that, Reverend. Um, what roles do you have, do you currently have? And I just want you to write this down. We're going to walk through this thing together. And that means you could be a spouse, you could be a parent, you could be a student, sibling, employer, employee. What roles do you currently have? Would you write it down? When you have it, say amen. Mm, told the story. When you have it, say amen. Okay. That was like, amen. I ain't writing this down. Um, Second question is, how do I bring glory to God in this role? So when I, so when I say husband, it's like, how do I bring glory to God in this role? So when I say father, how do I, when I say pastor, how do I, when I say student, how do I, and, and we're going to help you with this, all right? Um, I, when we mentor those kids, shout out to uh, George Washington Carver Elementary School down here, um, we are going in to make the school better. We're not, um, actually we're going in to mentor uh, kids who prior to, well, these kids have been disruptive. Uh, they have um, had issues. And so uh, I don't think necessarily we have the worst of the worst, but these kids are the most challenged, would you say? They're the most challenged and they have issues. And so um, they are crying out for help in terms of the, of the school. So if you're interested in volunteering, uh, see us or, or uh, text us, 704-939-6723. The point of it is they have called us to mentor these kids, not give them Jesus. Now, some of us are upset with that. That's what's wrong with these kids. They need Jesus. And you're right. But their goal is for these kids to be able to sit in classrooms and learn. And so they have come to the church to say, listen, we can't, we, you can't proselytize here, but what you can do is take that moral convictions you guys have and, and help these kids become better students. Now, here's, the, here's what I want to share with you. Our prayer is that we make the teacher's job easier by helping to create a classroom that, will, that does not distract other students from learning. So we're planting seeds with these children who are connected to families, and we're trying to build relationships with them. And we figured if we continue to be able to answer uh, or, or, or help with a problem that the school system is having, eventually it gets to the point, Thomas, why do you do what you do? And then we can give an answer for the hope that we have. 
And so when we're mentoring these class, when these students, what we're doing is we're taking what we believe in Jesus, and that is the, the, our moral compass, that's our North Star, and we're carrying him into the schools. But we're mentoring kids so that kids can be better at learning, studying, keep their hands to themselves. Them boys like to fight, fight. And so what we're trying to do is use the Lord's, the, the, the opportunity that we have, what we're trying to do is uh, love on those kids, love on those teachers, and when the Lord and the Holy Spirit gives us an opportunity to share our faith, bam. But our purpose is to mentor these kids. And so then the third question I want you to ask is what would Jesus do if he was in my shoes? So if Jesus was married to my lovely wife, how would he treat her? If Jesus was raising my children, what would Jesus do? Students, kids, I'm glad you're in here. Would Jesus disrespect his teacher? Would he lie to mom and dad? Would he watch what I am watching? And this is the awareness, and this is the way we learn from the master, and we practice his way into every area of our lives. Our life is not good because it's easy. It's good because Jesus is involved. Uh, Mark, in the book of Mark, I can't remember the chapter, maybe the fourth chapter, the fifth chapter, I spoke about it doing... Um, I was 633 uh, Zoom prayer call this morning, shameless plug. Um, and uh, the disciples are in a boat and they get into a storm and uh, Jesus sends them off and they, they get into a storm and then they see Jesus like walking beside the boat. And uh, what was fascinating about that account, he never stopped the storm. And oftentimes what we believe is that because Jesus involved, the storm stops. He don't always do that. Because there's a storm raging in you that he's more concerned about than the storm that's on the outside. And so he says in John chapter 10, verse 9, I am the gate. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. Jesus is the gate. I am saved regardless of what comes my way. But Jesus mentions the thief. So in, even in the good life, we can't avoid the obstacles or challenges that come with the good life. But the thief in this instance isn't the enemy or who we commonly refer to as Satan. And, but there is a real enemy. The thief in this context is bad doctrine, false teachers, people who've come and pollute and corrupt the gospel, the intended purpose of the gospel. The gospel has not come so that we may be rich. The gospel did not come so we can walk around a car that we can't afford and claim it in his name. That's not the gospel. The gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ. So stop straining to get success when the good life begins and ends with Jesus. So if I'm poor, I have a good life because I'm in Jesus. If I'm rich, I have a good life because I'm in Jesus. Whatever condition I find myself in, it's good. And that's the challenge. And so what he has to do is disrupt the false lies that we've been taught. 
You ain't supposed to be struggling. You in, you in, the, God, you in the gospel. Whoa! Almost all of those disciples. How do we overlook that obedience always goes through a cross? How do we overlook that our Savior, who is an example, lived a perfect life, and we think we ain't supposed to go through nothing? Something's wrong with our theology, Reverend. And so I got I to gotta make sure because we're talking about a good life, but some of us don't realize there's a real enemy. And you won't hear me talk about Satan a lot, um, but it's important to note that the devil is real. And I hate to bring it up because y'all made it viral. I was minding my business. I wasn't watching the Grammys. I didn't know what was going on. But y'all reposted it so many times, it became a part of my feed. Like, Jesus, Lord, help us. First of all, the devil does not have a pitchfork or horns. That's not the devil. The devil is more subtle than that. Oh, God, help me, Jesus. Um, and here's a newsflash. The devil is not equivalent by no stretch of your imagination to God. That's not in the same. It's like trying to box a baby. I might not be the best fighter, but I can take a baby. So, yeah, but don't try me either. All right, so I don't know where that came from. Sorry. Signs just like this. Get back to the Bible. And so, 2 Corinthians, um, verse, 2 Corinthians, <laughs> I was going to say 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, chapter 2, verse 11, I'm sorry. Um, he says, uh, I, I, um, so that we may not be taken advantage of by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his schemes. And so, Satan is more subtle than a pitchfork and horns and red. Satan is more cunning, more smarter. He's smarter. Um, and as believers, say, I'm a believer. Say, the Spirit of God is in me. So Satan doesn't have any power over you. There's a lot of things that we're blaming the devil for that he has nothing to do with. James says we're drawn away by our own lust. It's all in us. The enemy is actually in me. But that's a whole nother, because when Paul says in Romans chapter 7, the thing I want to do, I, I don't do. The thing I don't want to do, I end up doing. It's because it's the Spirit of God that leads us. And that's why the temptation is always for our five senses, our sights, eyes. Um, so here's what the enemy uses. And we're going to talk about the tools of the enemy um, because um, we should be aware of the tools that the enemy used. But I, I, I lead off with this. There's nothing new under the sun. Nothing. You know what you're going through? You know that thing that you're going through? You're not the only one. There's 7.2 billion people on the planet. And you the lucky one with that particular problem? Nah. <laughs> no, you're not. So here's the tool of the enemy. The first tool is deception. Deception is the twisting of the truth. Um, I'm going to give you scriptures to deal with it. Um, and so uh, John chapter 8, verse 44. You are of your father, the devil. Jesus is talking to the Pharisees. This is not funny. Jesus was talking to the Pharisees. And um, he says, you are your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. 
talking about the enemy. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he tells a lie, he speaks from his own nature because he's a liar and the father of lies. He, the enemy, is, uses the tool of deception. So the enemy attacks your identity, makes you believe that everything the scripture says about us doesn't apply to you. You are too far gone. So what the enemy uses is deception. But 1 John chapter 2, verse 26, John says, I have written these things to you concerning those who are trying to deceive you. We have to know who we are and not buy into the lie that the enemy projects. I am a child of God. I am redeemed. I am the righteousness of God. I am who he, meaning God, says I am. And so I am even not what I do. I am who he says that I am. The second thing the enemy does is he suggests evil. Now, John chapter 13, verse 2. Now, when it was time for supper, the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas to betray Jesus. Acts chapter 5, verse 3, Ananias, Peter asked, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the proceeds of the land? Like, he, he puts things in our hearts. He has no power over you. He make a strong suggestion, but he has no power over you. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 10, for the one who wants to love life and to see good days, that's all of us. Do you want to see, do you want to love life? Amen. Do you want to see good days? Yes. He's, this is what Peter says. Let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Stop gossiping. And you know how you, you, you gossip, even how you repost stuff? How are you going to repost something that you didn't research? That's spreading gossip. Help us, Lord. And let him turn away from evil. Why you keep looking at evil? Turn away from it. So what the enemy does is suggest evil. Um, and he says, uh, verse 11, let him turn away from evil and do what is good. Let him, let us seek peace and pursue it. If peace is over there, pursue it. Because the eyes, why, Peter, why? Because of the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. And his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do what is evil. One of the greatest gifts that God has given us, you ready for it? Is repentance. Wherever we find ourselves, the greatest gift, Lord, I'm sorry, help me. The scripture says in Romans chapter 12, verse 21, do not be conquered by evil, but conquer evil with good. Stop paying people back. You trying to, you, you to get back queen. You're the petty king. I'm talking to my Lord help me. I'm sorry. Talking to myself. Um, James chapter one, I don't have time, but I want to give you these scriptures to read. Uh, write this down, um, how, to, how to combat the evil. Uh, James chapter 1, verse 16 through 18. And 2 Timothy 3, uh, verse 13 through 17. How many people want to be free? So this is, this is one for you if you struggle with... Unf uh, the third tool that he uses, unforgiveness. 
James chapter 3, verse 14. But if you have bitter envy and selfish ambition in your heart, don't boast and deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. 1 John chapter 1, verse 8 through 9. If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Unforgiveness is the bait of Satan. You cannot walk in true freedom until you forgive. And for many of us, that's the very thing that's keeping us from experiencing a life of freedom. You just can't let it go. Forgiveness does not mean that whatever was done against you is minimized. Forgiveness does not mean that if John hurt me, and I forgive him that I'm supposed to trust John as equal as before the hurt. That's not what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is letting that person go and giving that person to God. Forgiveness. The fourth tool that the devil uses is discouragement. Galatians chapter 6, verse 9. Let us not get tired of doing good, for we will reap at the proper time if we don't give up. Lord, help us. You've been faithful for a long time. And the change that you've been hoping for, believing God for, has not come. I come here to tell you, Galatians chapter 6, let us not get tired of doing good, for you will reap at the proper time. Revelations chapter 2, verse 10. It says, don't be afraid of what you are about to suffer. Look, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison to test you. You will experience ex affliction for 10 days. Be faithful to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. The reality of it is that many of us are not after or not serving God with the threat of being thrown into jail. That's not our testimony. He is not asking us to die in the sense of what he's saying in Revelation, but he is asking us to live for him. Social pressure is not persecution. It feels like it, that when you stand for the things of God, that the whole world is against you. But this is what he's telling us. He's telling us, stand firm. Don't be discouraged. I am with you. This affliction, this suffering is momentary. It's light, and it pales in comparison to what awaits the children of God. Let me bring this home. Let me give you a secret sauce to combating the enemy. And we're going to finish up here. James chapter 4, verse 7 and 8. I keep hearing, seeing people saying, fight the devil. Rebuke him in Jesus' name. And we scream and we yell. And, you know, I'm going to do it after the service. I'm going to scream and yell. That's part of my personality. But there's no power in my screaming or yelling. James chapter 4, verse 7 says, Therefore, submit to God. Whew, right there. Submit to God. And then when you submit to God, you can do the next three words. You can resist the devil. And then when you submit to God, and resist the devil, he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands. 
cleanse your hands, sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. First, submit to God. That means listen, obey, follow. Repeat after me. Listen, obey, follow. Listen, obey, follow. That's why this first quarter, we're learning from Jesus. What did Jesus say? What did Jesus do so I can listen and obey so I can follow him? Acknowledge his lordship in my, in my, in my relationship with my wife. And so when I am in this um, relationship with my wife, there's three people. I'm accountable to her. She's accountable to me. And we're accountable to God. This acknowledges lordship in our lives. Submit to God. That means we give up our own desires. Mm. Reverend, you asking for too much. I'm not asking for anything. He's commanding it. We must choose to follow Jesus wherever he leads. Submit to God, giving up to God and giving into the Holy Spirit. Submit to God. Because here's a newsflash. You and I alone cannot resist the temptation of the devil. We can't do it in our own strength. So he says, submit to God. In Galatians chapter, 20, chapter 2, verse 20, uh, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Submit to God. The third thing, I mean, the second thing is resist the devil. It's listening to God versus listening to our own sinful nature. Be aware of the evil that's around Resist the devil means to withstand, strive against, oppose. Put on the whole armor of God. Submit to God, resist the devil, and he would flee. Jesus gives us an example, and I'm finished. This is what Jesus did in Matthew chapter 4. That the, the, Jesus resisted the enemy by appealing to scriptures. Matthew chapter 4 The Bible says that the tempter approached Jesus and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, it is written, man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And then uh, the devil brings Jesus to a high place. And he says, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written. So Jesus uses um, scripture to rebuke, to, to rebuff the devil, to re- rebut the devil. And the devil then goes and gets a little deeper and says, hey, the, the, the scripture, that's the, that's the manipulation of scripture. So the enemy oftentimes will manipulate scripture to satisfy a fleshly need. These are the tools of the enemy. So what happens, Jess, that it, it, the reason why it's important to see the chronological nature of the Bible, to read it as a, as a church family, to Bible study, small groups that are Christ-centered, that's, that's rooted in the Word of God, is because, remember, the enemy wants to tempt us by the manipulation of Scripture. And so Jesus says, he says, but hey, Satan says, hey, um, it's written, though, 
It's written that he would give his angels orders concerning you and they will support you with the hand so that you would not strike your foot against a stone. So the enemy knows scripture. But Jesus responds and says, do not test the Lord your God. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 8, the devil still is pounding. Now, this is very interesting because in the beginning of Matthew chapter 4, Jesus spends 40 days and 40 nights fasting. And the enemy comes when Jesus is at his physical weakness and tempts him with his appetite. So sometimes when we're serving God, the temptation is our appetite. That we want it, we go after it, we get it. And sometimes the hardest thing for us to do is to restrain our desires. And it usually comes when we're at our weakest. And so Jesus gives them the word, and then he takes them. He takes them higher, and he says, throw yourself down. It's written, do not test the Lord your God. And many of us, if we don't struggle with our appetite, you know what we struggle with? Ambition. So he says that I'm going to make you rulers. I can do a lot of things for you, Jesus. And Jesus says, it is also written, do not test the Lord your God. And then Matthew chapter 4, verse 8, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms. I'm sorry. He shows him all the kingdoms. So he, he tempts us with our appetite. He tempts us with the adoration, I mean, our omission. And then he tempts us. And verse number eight says, and he said to him, I will give you all these things if you fall down and worship me. He tempts us with adoration, affection. And so when we're at our weakest, uh, he comes in and he tempts us and we're drawn away from it. And then he's so manipulative, he can twist scripture. And, and that's why many of us in former lives, potentially, we were chasing after the so-called American dream that it was disguised as the gospel. That the evidence of me being blessed was what I possessed. And so if I didn't have these possessions, I must not be blessed. And so we're in this, we're this, this, this cycle. I mean, it's for disclosure. I'm free. I gave mortgages away trying to buy into a lie that these are the things that he wants from us. That the relational is I could not accept the fact that he just loved me. I had to earn it, perform it. And I equated God to man. Because in relationships, like when we are when we are in a relationship with people, most times it, it, it's, it's difficult, difficult for us to see God in a way that God intended. He's our father. But what happens when you have a distorted relationship with your father? What are the examples? How do we live a life in a way that he's having all of these descriptions about who he is? He's a father, but I don't have a contentious relationship with my father. Jesus shows us the way. The way to a good life begins and ends with Jesus. And what we are all striving for, as we spoke to in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, vanity. All the stuff that we're striving for, Josh, is like chasing the wind. It never satisfies. So you get the job and there's always a better job. 
You get the house, and it's still not a home. That new car smell goes away. The goosebumps of relationships when we first enter it, now you just look at each other like this. Mm. I ought to. It's fleeting. It's vanity. It's chasing wind. But he invites us in. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, heavy laden. And he says, I will give you rest. That very thing that you've been chasing for. He's inviting you in to relationship with him. He has defined what good life is. Because of our own brokenness, we have redefined it. But he's beckoning you to come. Because the good life begins and ends with Jesus. That concludes this week's message. If you were blessed by anything you heard in today's podcast and you feel led to give, feel free to text the word GIVE to 704-741-3705. And if you are in Kannapolis, Charlotte, or surrounding areas, come on by and visit us at 465 South Cannon Boulevard in Kannapolis, North Carolina, Sundays at 1033. You can also join us online Sundays on Facebook and YouTube. Be sure to subscribe to us and also check us out on Instagram under Think Kingdom. As always, you can go back and hear this message and so many more right here on our Think Kingdom podcast.